0: One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another episode of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. This is a weird podcast topic, ladies and gentlemen. It's weird. And there's a reason why it's weird. It's because it's something that I've kind of been, I don't know, mulling around a little bit for a while now. And if I don't do it now... I won't have the ability to do it until next, probably May or June. And that is we're going to have a discussion about taking the L today. What inspired me to do it now as opposed to next offseason? Yes, I have a book of topics that I could potentially use for next offseason was a punter, believe it or not. A punter inspired me. Specifically one Australian punter, Lachlan Edwards, inspired me. If you recall correctly, when the Bills signed Lachlan Edwards, I said, "I think he's going to be our punter week one." Yeah, he's not a good punter, but at least he's consistent. And Corey Bohorquez isn't. I was wrong. Very shortly after, they cut Lachlan Edwards and essentially anointed Corey Bohorquez the starting punter of the Buffalo Bills. This is not the first time that Bruce Nolan has been wrong. In fact, this offseason, you recall I did a 53-man roster projection that was based on a philosophy of something that Brandon Bean had talked about. He had talked about operating under the assumption that the cap next year would be $175 million. That's all well and good except that 53-man roster projection only had 52 people on it. Yep, you heard that right. I did a 53-man roster projection that didn't have the right number of people. What happened was I started doing it back when EJ Gaines was still on the roster. And after he opted out, I removed him, but I didn't fill the spot. And I ended up with 52 men. So already in the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of times When Bruce has been wrong, but that's not the only time Bruce has been wrong. So we're going to have a little bit of fun before the season starts. And we're going to talk about taking the L specifically. We're going to talk about some of my worst takes over the course of my football fandom. And I guess podcasting slash analysis. Career. I don't um, time, my time doing this, I think is better. This isn't a career. This is this is the time that I do it. And we're going to talk about taking the L in general, just as a, as a holistic concept, because I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. I think it's good to take stock in your failures and what you have learned from them. And I think it'll be fun for some of you guys, because part of what this, this podcast is all about is me offering you opinions. Now, I try to make sure that I always have reasons for my opinions. That's one of the foundational pieces of what we do here on the Bruce exclusive is we always have a reason why, how, and why are more important interrogatives than what that is a Bruceism. You have heard a million times over. You will hear it again, moving forward. I promise you, you might even hear it again on this pod, but we're going to start with the original L the biggest Of all L's that Bruce has ever taken, the first major L of my football life. The take was Rick Myrer would be just as good as Drew Bledsoe. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're going back in our time machine to 1993. I'm not going to tell you how old I was in 1993, but I will tell you that this was the first time I even had casual interest in, in the NFL draft. And at that time, Rick Meyer, Drew Bledsoe, that was the discussion. They ended up going number one, number two, the Patriots, the Seahawks. And at the end of their rookie seasons, it was still clear at that point that Meyer was trending in a different direction than Bledsoe. And that's what got me bit by the NFL draft bug. And so the first one of the NFL drafts that I started to really seriously follow was the draft immediately following the 1993 draft, which if you will recall was the famous 1994 draft, which was who the hell is Mel Kuyper? That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, who the hell is Mel Kuyper? The 1994 NFL draft feud with Colts general manager, Bill Tobin, and NFL draft analyst Mel Kuyper Jr. I was hooked at that point. The idea that I could have gotten it wrong inspired me to become more of a draft nut. And then in 1994, the who the hell is Mel Kuyper discussion with the Colts and whether or not they should have taken Trent Dilfer and whether or not they should have taken somebody else But instead, they took a linebacker and it didn't go great at all because, yeah, they got Marshall Falk and that's great, but Trev Alberts was the pick after Indianapolis traded up to number five. So there was strategy behind this and it was interesting and it was about roster building and I was hooked. But the only reason that I got hooked in 94 is because I took an L in 93. Very important. The idea that you could have two quarterbacks come into the league and have them neck and neck in overall development. And by the end of their rookie year, you were thinking they're trending in opposite directions. That was fascinating to me. But it was only willing to be fascinating in my brain because it was first willing to be wrong. And I was clearly wrong. Drew Bledsoe had an infinitely better career than Rick Meyer ever did. And it wasn't because of organizational instability. We don't look back at Rick Meyer and think, gosh, you know, Bruce had a shot to be right. It's not like we look back on Rick Meyer the way some people look back on Josh Rosen and say, you know, we we might never know what he would have become if he hadn't gotten bounced around in all the situations that he went through. Maybe he could have been something. We don't look at Rick Meyer like that. It was just wrong. Instead, we look back and go, it was Drew Bledsoe and, oh yeah, that other guy. In fact, if, if Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf hadn't been so disparate in their personality types, if Ryan Leaf hadn't been such a colossal, not even a bust on the field, but a colossal character where he's snapping at reporters and he's being inflammatory. We might look back at Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf as Peyton Manning and that other guy the same way we look at Drew Bledsoe and that other guy, Rick Meyer. The only reason we remember Ryan Leaf so much better than we remember Rick Meyer is because he was explosively bad, not quietly bad. But the point is that the original L that Bruce took in football was Rick Meyer drew Bledsoe and taking that L allowed me to be open mentally to the interesting things that the NFL draft had to offer me as far as mental stimulation. And I got that immediately the next year with who the hell is Mel Kiper? I might not even be as big a football fan as I am now. I might just be a bills fan. I might not even be a football fan. I might just be a bills guy. If it wasn't for my willingness to take the L and be fascinated by the method at which I got it wrong. Growth comes from taking the L. Let's talk about another L that Bruce took. A particularly fun L that Bruce took. And he took it in a way that is related to the Buffalo Bills right now. And that was the 2013 NFL Draft And infamously, the E.J. Manuel, Geno Smith draft class. A lot of people think that the 2013 NFL draft class for quarterbacks is one of the worst quarterback class in the history of football when it comes to quarterbacks. I don't disagree with that. One of the discussions was coming into the year, where was Matt Barkley going to go? Of course, he ended up going in the fourth round to the Eagles. But Matt Barkley was my QB1 that year over Geno Smith. And I deemed him worthy in my mock draft that I did on the Buffalo Bills message boards prior to the draft. I deemed him worthy of the number eight overall pick. In the 2013 NFL draft, my mock draft had Robert Woods in the second round, which I nailed it, and he ended up being a good player in this league. So I take credit for that one. But Matt Barkley. And the number eight pick, why is taking the L important on Matt Barkley? Because if I hadn't taken the L on Matt Barkley and learned from it, I probably would have had a higher grade on Jake Fromm. That's important. It's important to be able to take the L when necessary for growth. So earlier, it was growth in regards to a fascination, growth in your hobby growth in your interests allow yourself to be open to new things new experiences with this one it was open to the idea that physical traits matter when you're attempting to project players to the nfl whether or not someone can continue to do the things that they did in college at the next level is based on their athleticism I had a discussion about fullbacks last week, and I talked about how versatile Patrick DeMarco was considered to be coming out of South Carolina. The reason he hasn't been that versatile in the league is because he lacks the athleticism. You need the athleticism to allow your versatility to carry to the next level. Yeah, you can be versatile when you're playing against lesser athletes, but that versatility somehow goes out the window because you don't have the athleticism to be able to translate. And that's the trap that I fell into with Matt Barkley. I thought he threw with enough anticipation that he could make up for less than desirable physical traits. Not being overly mobile, not having an overly strong arm. I thought that that was the case. I was wrong. That learned lesson helped me get it right with Jake Fromm. I'm not saying it's over for Jake Fromm. I've already, I mean, he hasn't, forgotten goodness sake, to say he hasn't even been through his first training camp, but it's why I didn't project Jake Fromm as being a first round pick ever. That's good. That's learning. But if you're not willing to accept the loss, then you're not willing to figure out why your take was wrong. And if you don't know why your take was wrong, you're going to do it again. It's going to happen. So those are two examples of times when I personally had to take the L and the benefit that came along with doing it. So those are the benefits. Now, there's a couple times where you got to take the L and just laugh at yourself. There's no growth to be had. You just missed it crazily. There's no excuse. You don't know what it is. For me, that's Prince of Mucamara. I had a couple takes come draft time. When we were at number three overall, and I thought Cam Newton would be gone, and I had a take against Cam Newton. I was like, show me a read option quarterback who's been successful in the NFL. That didn't go well. That wasn't even my worst take of that draft. I did say Cameron Jordan would be better than Marcel Darius, and everyone thought I was crazy for that. So I nailed that one. But famously, I said Prince Amukamara would be better than Patrick Peterson. Yes, I did. I said that thing again, I ignored athleticism, but I already knew that I had already learned that lesson earlier. So there's no excuse here. I just screwed it up. Sometimes your L's aren't growing moments. Sometimes you burn the tape and you move on. Sometimes it's such a bad take that you look back and go, what the heck was I thinking? In which case you approach taking the L differently. So first thing you can do is you can take the L and you can grow. And the second thing you can do is you can take the L and just burn it. Move on. Prince of Mukumara being potentially better than Patrick Peterson. Prince of Mukumara's had a perfectly nice career. Not Patrick Peterson level, but a perfectly nice career. I recognized at that point my bias toward overly physical cornerbacks. That's one of the reasons why I love Josh Norman as a day three guy when he came out. I love me some physical cornerbacks. I just do. And I've had to fight against that predisposition and that bias ever since when it comes to corners. But what ends up happening is that we can't take the L. I've just established some benefits of taking the L, some of the L's that I've taken, and some of the good that's come out of it. We can't do it. We can't find a reason to do it. One of the reasons why we can't do it is because we have an ego problem in this culture. Ego impedes growth. This idea that the ego has to be protected and every L that we take diminishes the ego that we rely on so sufficiently, we need it to sustain us because we have identity problem in this culture. We need to be right because being right is part of the identity. And so we can't admit when we're wrong because if we do, it'll chip away our identity. You know who would hate that? Sean McDermott. Because ego is part of a fixed mindset. It's not part of a growth mindset. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I brought Sean McDermott into this. Part of having a growth mindset, with Sean McDermott constantly preaches, is being open to the idea that knowledge is fluid. So even if you were right 10 minutes ago, things might have changed and you might be wrong now. Your knowledge base has to continually grow. And the more ego you have, the more fixed you are. The more fixed you are, the less you grow. The less you grow, the better off you will be at staying put. And staying put is a quick way to fall behind. That's why ego is not something that you see a lot of from Sean McDermott. One of the ways he's the exact opposite of Rex Ryan is the fact that he's willing to say to himself, you know what, I, that was my bad. I did wrong on that one. I'm not very good at this. I need to get better. I have said before that Sean McDermott is a shockingly progressive coach for being someone who constantly spews football cliches and basically tells you nothing in press conferences. You would think that those two traits would lend themselves more toward being somebody who has a little bit more rigid ego, but that's not the case. So be more like Sean McDermott Be willing to take the L there. There is something interesting that happens in our culture that allows us to not take the L. One of those things that I want to talk about is ego. And I mentioned it. The other thing I want to talk about is primary and secondary emotions. Maybe you're familiar with the feelings wheel. The feelings wheel is not as, not as rudimentary and not as juvenile as it sounds, Dr. Gloria Wilcox created a wheel that shows you primary and secondary emotions. The primary and secondary emotions go on and Google it, but the primary and secondary emotions are connected to each other. Each one of the primary emotions, which is happy, surprised, bad, fearful, angry, disgusted, and sad. Those things are your primary emotions. Then within them, those are sub emotions, sub emotions, which are things you feel that are connected to that. So for example, helpless, overwhelmed, worried, inferior, worthless. All these things are connected to insecure, weak, rejected, anxious, which are all connected to fearful. So that's all part of that subcategory. What we have done as a society is we have taken the angry emotion and we have built up the feelings wheel where everything connects to that. So if you're embarrassed, you get angry. If you feel humiliated, you get angry. If you're sad, you get angry. If you're frustrated, you get angry. If you're impatient, you get angry. If you're confused, you get angry. All roads in our current culture lead to anger. And because of that, we don't want to take the L. We don't want to take the L because we don't like feeling angry. And there's lots of things stopping us from doing that. We don't want to feel embarrassed. We don't want to feel humiliated. Maybe we don't want someone to laugh at us. All of these things lead to anger in our current culture. Because we can't just be sad. We can't just be fearful. All that stuff ends in anger. Disgusted anger. Surprised anger. Unless it's a good surprised. Bored anger. Indifferent anger, apathetic anger, pressured anger. We don't process our emotions as well as we used to. And we specifically don't process it well because there's an opportunity for us to miscommunicate. And that's the final point when it comes to taking the L. When it comes to taking the L, specifically in football, but also other areas of life, the vast majority of the time that you get upset and you're maybe not willing to take the L or you want someone else to take the L, most of the time there's a miscommunication there. If we're willing to ask for clarification, if we're willing to humble ourselves a little bit, we can probably, probably figure stuff out. I've had many opportunities to have discussions with great football people who I've disagreed with and most of the time it's a terminology difference. The vast majority of time it's because I call something different than what they call it. And that happens all the time in the NFL coaches call different things, different stuff. And if you're so rigid in your terminology that you're not even willing to accept the fact that maybe somebody else calls it a little something different and maybe that's okay. And you're rigid and you're not willing to just say, Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I thought you meant this. That's taking the L. It might be a small L. It might not be as bad as Matt Barkley QB one L But it's an L, nonetheless. I fully recognize that this is a weird, weird pod topic. But it was just kind of a collection of thoughts in my head. And I kind of wanted to get out. It's weird. But you know what? We do weird stuff here on the Bruce Exclusive. Today's pod was about taking the L. It was about the benefits of taking the L and the things that stop us from taking the L. Along with some Bruce L's sprinkled in. I hope you enjoyed it. Tell me what you thought. If you thought it was weird as crap, shoot me an email. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com. Ladies and gentlemen, next week, next week, it's really important that you start getting me. That's right. Your almighty takes are back. The almighty takes are back. Email me, I am brucealmighty at yahoo.com. Hit me up on Twitter, hashtag almighty take. Remember, Almighty Take is spelled A-L M-I-G-H-T-Y-T-A-K-E. Almighty Take. If you make it Almighty Takes, I might not find it. If you make it Almighty Take with two L's, I might not find it. You gotta spell it right or you gotta email it to me. Hit me on Twitter. DM me on Instagram, DM me on Twitter, email me, hit me with an almighty take about the Jets game. Here is the caveat. Here are the rules, ladies and gentlemen. It cannot include the final score. If your take is Bill's win 26 to seven, there's nothing for me to react on. It has to be a take that does not include the final score. Josh Allen throws it 400 yards. Devin Singletary rushes for a hundred, something like that something qualitative or something statistic. It cannot be the final score because we're there guys. We're there. We are there. We're ready for football and I'm excited. Hit me with your almighty takes tomorrow. We have the final 53 man roster projection with Greg set from cover one Buffalo. It's going to be a great time. I promise you it will be more structured and more interesting than what you just heard from me. Because that's the way the cookie crumbles, I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.